Hey, Taylor. How are you, girl? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, just trying to live the dream and kill the game every day. Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) How's how's been training your classes going? It's been going really well. Um, I actually just took a week off, though, from training to go on a little vacation. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? I went out to uh, Breckenridge, actually, to do some camping out in the mountains. It was pretty spectacular, kind of cold. I mean, Breck is already. Beautiful. Yeah, Breck is yeah. very beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. What was the best part about your trip? Um, probably just getting to disconnect from the world for a little while, and uh, you know, really enjoy my surroundings and um, just one with nature a little too one with nature um my tent kind of gave out at the very end there we went to the primitive campgrounds and it got a little sketchy oh i'm sorry i've definitely had that happen before bad tents and bad camping gear makes for an epic trip no bueno sometimes (laughs) but definitely an epic trip oh yeah uh and it was kind of it was good timing because it was there at the very end, but I'm definitely going to have to do some replacing in some of my gear. I know you are into that kind of stuff, right? Like, do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Nemo. Uh, they kind of came on the scene a little while ago and they've been around for a while, but their tents are awesome. And it's funny enough, the owner of the company had an experience much like you and it just, failed him and he was infuriated with it and then so then he set out to create amazing amazing products and if you're going to be doing like a lot of backpacking you know they make an aurora that is really good um but i would definitely check them out and if you decide to purchase anything from them if you use the promo code sends and suffers 20 you get 20 percent off you help the podcast okay i'm sold i'm definitely checking this out all right Well, hey, I look forward to seeing you in the gym later on this week, and I'm still excited. I'm going to try to catch one of your fitness classes, but I got to jump off here. But uh, it's good catching up with you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. I'll see you later. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sense and Suffers podcast and it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out and getting to know the good good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, 
early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcasts. My guest today is Veronica Baker, the Executive Director of GCI, Global Climbing Initiative. Global Climbing Initiative is probably by far one of the coolest organizations that have come onto the scene, and they are having an impact globally as much as your local access fund, American Alpine Club, you know, the SCC, your local LCO, but this is on an international scale. I don't want to give away too much of the episode because I want you to listen and enjoy, but these are the people that are helping me go to Malawi for the Climb Malawi Project. If you're going to be in Denver, June 9th, come holla at your boy at the spot. Information to get a ticket will be in the show notes here. I hope to hang out with my friends, homies, fam. You know who you are in Denver. Once again, enjoy this episode with Veronica Baker of Global Climbing Initiative, an organization that I am proud to be a part of and work with that is changing the world as we know it. Enjoy the episode. All right, Veronica, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Mario? I'm doing well. This is technically take two for everyone listening to this. I'm going to give full disclosure, we recorded at International Climbers Festival last year, which is coming up in a hot second, mm-hmm. um, but I learned a very important lesson. Do not record a podcast when people are route setting around you, no matter how far away you are. Um, it's loud. Yeah. And so now we're here at Take Two. We are here at the CWA, which has been a busy weekend for both of us. Definitely. Yeah. And so... Um, why don't we start how we always do? Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your connection to the outdoors? When did you get into it? My name is Veronica Baker. I am the executive director of the Global Climbing Initiative. I'm from Boulder, Colorado. And my connection to the outdoors, despite growing up in Boulder, didn't start until my early to mid-20s when I became a climber. Um, I was a total indoor kid until then. and then very quickly realized that the mountains, the foothills right in front of where I grew up were actually very, very worthwhile, kind of like the best thing on earth. That's dope. How old were you when you really kind of started that journey? I think doing some quick math, I believe I was 23. So it was like yesterday? No. I I can tell anyway. (laughs) I've grown up a little bit since then. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) And, um... And what was, and so we're here at the CWA. Actually, before we jump in the CWA, um, can you please give a brief, long, short, heartfelt description of what is GCI and why is GCI important to you? I mean, I know you run the thing, but yeah. why is it important to you? So for me, I've spent the last over a decade studying how how change happens in the world, like how societies come together, fall apart, how groups of people decide what kind of world and community they want. And for me originally, that was in the field of Middle East policy. I was studying democracies and authoritarian regimes and political change in the Middle East. And that was so fulfilling and so interesting. And getting to spend all that time in the Middle East was so beautiful, but the paths I was on to be working in the state department or any field kind of like that, 
I felt really disillusioned in terms of the impact that I could have and, and my role in it. And, um, the systems of international aid and development just being so often well-intentioned, but ultimately either ineffective or actually harmful that we've just created world systems mm. where we're trying to help other people and often not doing so in a way that listens to locals or like listens to the people most affected. And so as I was having this internal crisis of not knowing what direction I wanted to go in, in my career and um, what to do with my background in research and international development, I became a climber in that time. I was living in Jordan actually. And in Jordan, there is this really vibrant, tight knit community of climbers. It's the kind of country where every climber knows each other basically. Mm. And so becoming a climber in that context and um, seeing the tight knit nature of that, seeing how people from different walks of life who otherwise probably wouldn't interact come together through climbing that was really, really powerful to me. And then realizing the the tentacles of the impact of that, where you're creating climbing tourism in really under accessed kinds of areas, for example, Wadi Rum, where you went in Jordan, um, that there are families there that are now benefiting from climbing tourism and the ability to um, welcome foreigners into that land and, and go climbing with them. Um, there's social change that happens through climbing with, um, you know, you're, you're suddenly part of this greater community and you're, you suddenly feel connected to people on the other side of the world just through being a climber. And, uh, it's also being used as a tool for positive change with, um, youth who've grown up in and gone through really tra traumatic events or, uh, grown up in an, a, a space without much opportunity, mm. um, like programs that access, um, those kinds of individuals and welcome them into the climbing community or, um, people who, um, have gone through substance abuse or health challenges, um, like all of those kinds of programs that help people through climbing. And then lastly, the environmental component of what you and I could probably relate to of, mm -hmm. of, uh, suddenly you feel so connected to a natural part of the landscape and want to protect it. And those to me were all such powerful dimensions of what climbing brings into the world. And so I started looking into, is there an international organization representing climbing communities around the world and helping them grow and helping them access resources? Cause if you're outside of the U S and Western Europe, it can be really hard to even get a climbing harness, let alone get guiding certification or get training. Um, and I realized that that organization didn't exist. And so long story short, I went to graduate school. I studied the growth of climbing around the world. And as I connected with communities that, that need became even more apparent, um, figuring out how to support the climbing leaders who are stewarding these efforts in their local communities. And over the last four years, the global climbing initiative has been born. And now that's everything that we do. We support, uh, climbing communities around the world with everything that they need to thrive. I'm very excited. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> so that is beautiful. And I'm excited, honestly, to be working with you and working with GCI. So what was your objective being here at CWA? Like what was, I mean, I obviously I know with Malawi and that, but then there were so many other projects that GCI has going on or is a part of, or is sponsoring or is running. And that, that's a question I have actually a little later on 
too, but like I I will say like if people were not talking to me about Malawi, they were talking to me about something in South America or something mm -hmm. here or something here. And it was like, I will have to say like in this event, like GCI was definitely like the sleeping giant in the room because almost every booth to a certain extent of like within a certain, within certain markets, like whatever certain companies that provide a certain service and mm -hmm. product, but like the name was already known and it was really cool so what was your objective what were you trying to achieve at this event at cwa this year good question i think cwa climbing wall association is i mean it represents so much more than the walls right like mm -hmm. the name of it, it it that's sort of the 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 nascent like impetus of of what created the organization is is literal climbing walls mm -hmm. and gyms but the industry that's evolved around that you have the holds you have even insurance companies here talking about how to keep climbers safe and how to uh, represent gyms and create the right systems around gyms. You have um, apparel companies and shoe companies and everyone, it's just such a booming, fast growing industry. And so all of these players coming together in a place like the CWA summit is an opportunity for us all to think about the projects we're collaborating on because at the end of the day, if you're doing a project related to climbing, you need all of those players engaged to figure out, yeah, how to, how to build effective programs. And a lot of it is still focused on programs in the United States and gyms here, but I think everyone's minds slowly we've started in the U S to realize that we're not the only ones in the room and that like, mm. it's not just, the US, it's not just Western Europe, it's also Eastern Europe, it's also the Middle East, Africa, Asia, South Central America. Like everyone, there are so many emerging markets around the world where climbing is, it's actually a really funny way to look at it that the timelines of development are staggered almost. Like you look at the way climbing oh, yeah, developed yeah. in maybe the US or Western Europe and then it'll be a similar path of development, obviously, depending on the context of the country, everything is really unique, but you, you're almost just jogging it forward or backward a number of years, depending on the different country you're looking at, you know? So yeah. other countries that are at earlier stages of development, it's amazing to talk to those climbing leaders because they're operating perhaps at an earlier stage of climbing development, but with the knowledge of what happened in other places. And that gives us a really cool opportunity for climbing to not only grow faster, but grow in a way that's more equitable and respectful of the environment. And we can avoid a lot of the issues that climbing development happen, has happened in, in other contexts. That's actually pretty interesting that you, I like how you stated that it's either a little forward, a little backwards. Cause if, you know, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> you know, known's been, uh, unbeknown to anybody else who shares a Netflix account with me. Like I am a, big historian buff like if i could mm -hmm. watch the history channel all day mm -hmm. but you think about it but if you watch like if you watch about emerging news if you read things about other countries like i'm a big fan of reading al jazeera mm -hmm. but like you can that your comment makes a lot of sense because you look at where they are and i want to make very clear like it's not the western world is not the map for everybody Definitely i'm not, not saying we are not like we, we we have our own glooming horrific problems and we can get that's a whole nother day and that the rest of the world doesn't even understand, nor do they have, thank God. <laughs> but 
um it is interesting where you think of like from i guess from an industrial standpoint mm. at least from the climbing industry um that does make a lot of sense so um so i guess the next thing would be is malawi mm -hmm. with the, actually before we jump into malawi how many projects do were you talking about during this event are promoting are working on because i was hearing something in like like you said south and central the americas uh obviously climb malawi with me and mm -hmm. jen and eve um is there anything else that's like like really kind of moving on in the work are there too many to count kind of too many to count uh we have an incredible team of of uh, people working on this initiative coming from 12 different countries so everyone has their connections and and their uh projects that they're working on throughout the world with different communities um it's all happened really organically organic <laughs> nice. um and it yeah, so we have so many things going on, but I think the major things that were relevant at this event were um, our project with Kilter. We launched the Kilter Global Community Boards project, so we're mm -hmm. getting Kilter boards to communities around the world that would never otherwise be able to afford them. Um, so we have Kilter boards going to um, Malawi mm -hmm. and also Palestine, um, kind of in connection with the Real Rock film that mm -hmm. there recently was in Palestine. Um, and then, other than that, yeah, we we've been talking to brands and gyms about a gear distribution going to Venezuela. Obviously, if you know anything about the economic mm. and political context in Venezuela. I do, very much so. The, I'm, yeah, getting climbing gear and resources and training in Venezuela is really, really challenging. Getting a lot of things in Venezuela yeah. is very challenging. I have, there's actually, uh, oddly enough, um, it's, it's probably not an odd thing, but to me it was very surprising, but DFW has an enormous, an enormous Venezuelan community. Mm. It's actually, I was very surprised because there's a large Venezuelan community that was that was climbing in the gym for quite a while, and I'm mm. sure they're still around. But it, there's a big community in Dallas. So, oh wow, amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. Um. Wow. So can you touch a little bit more on the actual like the kilter board around the world? Because that's like, or is that still in the works? Are you allowed to kind of talk a little bit more about that and expand on that? Yeah, we totally can. Uh, the boards are getting ready to be shipped. It's it's a long process to figure out the process of customs and, and f air freight, ocean freight, how to get yeah, uh, something sense. as big as a kilter project over overseas. But um, yeah, we, we are getting ready to ship those this summer. So hopefully those should be installed later this year. So how did the project come to be? And are you shipping the eight by eights? Is that the ones that are going out like the home size boards? I think so. We're probably building the boards in country, um, but the holds themselves, the holds and the light systems and everything are what we're uh, making sure get over there. And that project began because uh, Ian and Jackie of Kilter have for a long time wanted to increase access and utilize Kilter boards as a training tool for communities, especially those where um, there's a large um, gap between the strength of the climbers and the resources that they have available. Um, if you have these countries where climbers are becoming so strong, pushing grades in their own country, establishing routes, like really moving the sport forward. But if they have, if they're working off a training facility with a very limited number of holds um, and maybe even uh, like at some, in some places crumbling infrastructure, uh, there's such a gap 
also if you don't have enough route setters or a high level of route setting education in a, com- a country. So having something like a kilter board um, to be able to access uh, training and the types of holds that are seen in international competition. Mm. Um, those are the kinds of things that can really level the playing field and allow a community to level up in terms of their climbing technique and, and access to training. That's actually a big, uh, that's the point you bring up is a massive point because it's the same thing when doing consulting work with gyms and talking about their youth programs, you know, especially when they really want to make a high level comp team and they're ready to move into that world. I think that's the biggest staggering thing that I have gym owners look at me like deer in the headlights of like, mm. I need to spend what on holds <laughs> annually. You yeah. know, and I'm like, and I'm always like, you should bake that into like a biannually budget. And like, you yeah. know, maybe if you can like look at it that if you can break it into biannually and make it a little larger and people just don't understand, it's like, like the competition level scene has moved light years mm-hmm. ahead of where it was just 10 years ago. Like 10 years ago, you could just be strong and pull on some holds real hard and just kind of like really, you know, for like, if you look at videos from the days of when Chris Sharma was climbing to now, I mean, it, before it was just grab onto a bad hold, pull, lock off, grab on a bad hold, pull, lock off. Mm-hmm. And who could be grab onto the worst hold mm-hmm. and who could lock off and who could pull and do a couple jumps, couple of this, and maybe that now, I mean, these kids are glorified, you know, I would say they're a cross between parkour athletes, gymnasts, basketball players, and rock climber. I mean, yeah. like the amount of quick decisions I mean, if you watch any World Cup, any youth, especially the youth World Cups, any youth World Cup, it, it's a different world. So I can understand, like, for emerging markets and wanting to especially have a competitive team yeah. or a team that represents their country and represents where they love. Like, that's a hard market to get into. And that's cool. Absolutely. Route setting at the end of the day is a language. Like, it's the route hmm. setter communicating with the climber in an indirect way, right? Oh, that's cool. I never heard of that. I never heard anybody say that before. That's that's. That's kind of, that's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's, if we get really esoteric about it, it's a poem written on the wall. Like Mm. it's, it's the route setter putting that up and in the same way that we can reinterpret a poem in different ways. um, I think you can climb a route different ways. Oftentimes you can break the beta, but the reality is route setting has gotten so sophisticated, especially in an international competitive setting that if you're inviting one group, to come who has access to that, that sophistication of route setting and, and those, those particular holds like in, in a gym setting, it's so different climbing a route. If you look up and say, Oh, I've, I've touched those holds before. I know exactly what those feel like. I know, you know, that it it looks actually more positive than it is or less or something like that. Mm -hmm. But if you've never had the ability to touch a hold from that hold company, or if you've never, um, seen a move like what they're putting on that route for the competition you're at an automatic disadvantage no matter if you're actually a strong climber so equalizing that playing field uh is is important yeah it's definitely not about how strong you are it is definitely about how much experience you know it's like prime example trying to teach kids to step on dual text holds Mm. and they're like it's impossible i'm like no it's just Mm. extremely hard Mm -hmm. but it is definitely a thing yeah That's really cool. That's like, I'm, I'm honestly going to kind of sit on that for a hot second. <laughs> like, I love this uh, route setting as a language or route setting as poetry. I mean, it makes sense because you have some route setters who vehemently believe their route setting is art, even That's in true. a commercial setting. And I'm always just like, it's time to get holds on the wall. I'm not <laughs> setting a comp. 
but you know, kind of segueing into what the relationship that you and I are having with GCI, which I'm extremely excited to do. And uh, I've been talking about it a lot. Um, and I'm sure everyone who's listening to this, um, you will know that I have talked about it a lot on my social media that I'm getting ready to go to Malawi. And this project is something that I think started off as one thing. And then you guys happily just let me run wild with it in my head. Uh, and you guys are excited. And so I will kind of give my little spin on this first. So climb Malawi is a project that Tyler, uh, talked to me about and like GCI is behind and moving forward. And I also would like to talk about the relationship of like how you actually come across these projects and how mm -hmm. these projects either get pitched to you or you decide to back them or they're an in-house brainchild. Um, but Climb Malawi was brought to me and, uh, and it was, I think Tyler was already talking to Jen and Eve Walker before me. And my responsibility in my role currently right now as it stands is doing route development indoors and doing route setting, uh, sorry, route development outdoors, route setting indoors. And I'm really going to be working on teaching bolting practices, um, route development outside, understanding crag management, understanding like layout and really trying to create a conducive environment. So not only can the community continue to thrive and grow as they already are, but then maybe we can also talk about developing some other areas and other things that are locally with them to eventually offer international tourism and just help the economy and use climbing as a driving force economically, not just socially. And so that's something that my heart is super excited about. Um, and I definitely want to work for the next five years is what I've been telling Tyler and you, because I think it's really going to take about that long in order, you know, minimum three, but realistically it's going to take five years really mm -hmm. to kind of like understand and have systems and things implemented in order for this program to grow. And also it's going to take that long just to see like, how does the community actually want this to work? Because this is, you know, like I like, I'm, I am a tool in the toolbox. I am a little bit of a hammer, a little bit of a screwdriver, a little bit of a drill, a little bit of this. And I am, my goal is to show up and be a resource and then hopefully have challenging and growing questions that allow for um, myself and the community to be able to kind of brainstorm and hopefully think outside of my box because all of it's going to be outside of my box mm -hmm. and then also think outside of their box too so we can really make this thing thrive and so i think that's like in a nutshell for what it is for me um hear your take on it yeah we're so excited to have you involved in this and it's been a, a perfect synergy of interests and skills um so i'm elated to have you mario so Every project that we've engaged in, we're, we're a four-year-old nonprofit now. We've been doing this for four years. And everything we've engaged in has been at the invitation and request of a local community. Mm. We've never gone in and told anyone how we think things should run in their local context. That mm -hmm. is absolutely not our place. We've just been responsive to the visions and the theories of change, the, the mm. visions of how this how anything could evolve uh, in these local contexts. And in the case of Climb Malawi, Climb Malawi was founded um, because our friend Tyler 
who had moved to Malawi with his family. Um, his wife is a doctor. They were living in Malawi and he had a moon board and he put it in his backyard and invited anyone who wanted to, to come climb. And suddenly his backyard was full of people um, just climbing on his home board. And that then expanded into the creation of a gym and uh, the handing over of responsibility of growing a local climbing community um, to local climbing leaders. And that's been the vision of Climb Malawi this whole time. Just local Malawians have gotten so stoked on the sport that they want to take it into their own hands and really um, steward the journey of and the growth of their own climbing community. Um, that's also led to outdoor route development. But the challenges in Malawi, I mean, Malawi is one of the poorest countries in Africa. Resources are really hard to come by. And with that, especially with the interruption of COVID, having route setters, uh, indoor and outdoor route developers in country, there, there's just been a lack of that. And so the need identified by the community is that they want foreigners to come in, develop routes, do route setting at the gym, but then also teach those skills so that they are autonomous and self-independent uh, and can do it themselves. Um, so that's the vision of this trip is how to give the local Malawian climbers the uh, things that they're asking for so that they can really have the reins of their own future in climbing in Malawi. I think you and I are the perfect, as you said, synergy in this, because that was the most important thing to me. It's like, like they have to be utterly wholeheartedly self self-reliant. Like if they're not, then like what's going on. And I remember just having a quick conversation with Ed about the things that are our hard resources for them. Like one of the things, like I was blown away, like, one of the most hardest resources for them to get is magnesium carbonite, like mm -hmm. basic climbing chalk. Like mm -hmm. it is, it, it, you know, it's, and it made perfect sense when I heard this conversation because it's not a resource that is readily needed mm. for any other reason. Like, like, like don't like, like climbing chalk. I don't know what else climbing chalk is used in, but uniquely it is used in gymnastic sports, mm -hmm. you know, archery, some other like Olympic level sports, but reality is I, I think that's really all it's ever used for i mean mm. i don't know what else it could be used for um you know and then i know hardware and different things like that we've we've had a long wide ranging of conversations so i'm looking forward to helping them in doing whatever we can to like set up supply chains and making sure it's completely sustainable on their own yeah the reality is the reason the global climbing initiative was not founded in a country like malawi is because the resources of the climbing industry, like it or not, are concentrated in the US and Western Europe. Yep. And being able to be here at a place like the Climbing Wall Summit, uh, CWA Summit, is this is where the moving and shaking of the industry happens. This is where the resources are. And so for us to be able to access those resources, all of these brands and gyms, the places where the economic growth of the industry is happening, but then to take those resources and as much as we can decenter ourselves and place resources and knowledge in the hands of local communities who know exactly what they want to do with it. That's the whole purpose here. Um, we operate on a principle called accompaniment mm -hmm. in GCI. Um, it's an emerging thought in international development of a new way 
to do international development. Accompaniment okay. means taking the hand of another and going through a journey together. Oh. And so for this project we're doing with you in Malawi to every other gear distribution or community training or any other project that we do, it's all under this principle of being local partners and taking each other's hand and learning from one another um, to accomplish shared goals together. That's the whole point. So how can people support um, GCI? Like what are like what forms of support? I mean, I'm assuming obviously time monetarily, but like what are the different forms of support that people can give you to kind of continue to one, to do three things. One, support the internal staff here in the United States to be able to amplify and grow and be able to handle a larger payload. Two, help you with resources. What? How can they help maybe give you resources or where where can they give those resources? And then uh, third, and most importantly, how can they support you individually to allow you to give continue to be doing the bandwidth? Because you are the tip of the spear of this thing. And I think it's important to stay that. And I think, um, you know, you you're running a lot and you're doing a lot with this and i know you have a wonderful team and i know you have people that you rely on that support and run and make this that make this engine go that are volunteers but at the same time i do think it's like this is your brainchild and you know you do need support in order to make sure that this thing can grow and so you can continue to empower and support the teams and grow your team and grow into the way that you want this to be so starting with one, like just in general, like basic level supporting of GCI. Well, luckily our team has grown and expanded globally in such a beautiful way. Our team hails from, I believe, 12 different countries. So we are located all over at this point. So not just within the U.S., but all, all over the world, um, we have the ability to accept gear um to work with people who have um expertise in guiding safety education um anyone who has expertise building a climbing organization or a gym um basically just pairing all of those needs articulated by the local communities in either direct gear and resources or education um anyone with skills or or goods to offer in those domains like we're all ears and we can get those directly um, to have major impact abroad. Um, beyond that, the need for funding is definitely real because at the end of the day, sending gear to another country, paying for someone's checked luggage or shipping abroad or uh, the customs fees to get into countries, like those are all major barriers and challenges to getting resources in. Um, and then yeah, growing this organization um, as a high-functioning nonprofit like that that requires resources too, just to have the bandwidth to provide all of these uh, all this support to local communities. So, I would say, uh, yeah, anyone with those concrete resources or experiences in the climbing industry to then offer and help build up the capabilities of other communities or direct funding support um, to make sure that we can grow and sustain these operations. We just launched a community grants program where communities can directly apply for funding to do oh, cool. their own environmental or social impact projects. 
Um, so those are the kinds of things where funding just goes directly into the hands of local leaders to implement exactly the projects they want. And this is in an international grant anywhere in the world. Anyone can apply for it? Outside of the United States, uh, the continental United States, we've identified and our work doesn't really happen inside of the continental United States because here, even though there are barriers to becoming a climber or running a climbing organization, those barriers are significant, but the proximity to the industry um, is a lot, it's mm, yeah. a lot closer that here. Makes sense. Um, so we've expanded um, beyond that to offer all of our resources outside of the continental U.S. Okay. That's okay. That makes a lot of sense because like you, you know, when you put it that way, cause I'm sure people do, as you kind of beautifully stated right there at the end, like people are like, well, there are barriers here in the United States, but the proximity to you be able to getting resources, getting help. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, in reality, it's probably an email or a phone call away mm-hmm. in certain capacities, depending on where you are. I understand mm-hmm. some is more and some is less, mm-hmm. but the reality is, is in other countries, especially emerging markets and emerging countries, like it's it drastically complicated. So now how do, how do, do most other countries or communities, do they just find you online? Is this usually word of mouth or like, like how is this often done? Cause that's another thing that pops in my head. It's like, you know, you don't have, you know, it's not like how Coca-Cola wanted to put a giant Coca-Cola sign in space. You don't have it in GCI. <laughs> so there's a lot of this, with uh, word of mouth or how does, how do you really get plugged in with these communities? A lot of it is social media. Social media is such a powerful driver of building community um, globally among climbers, especially. I think uh, connecting to a climber in Lebanon or the Philippines or Malawi or Venezuela, it's really only a click away through social media. And so that that's how the word of mouth tends to happen of people hearing that there was a gear distribution that uh, one of their friends in another country was the beneficiary of, or that there was a climbing training that one of their friends went through in another country through us or something like that. Um, That's how the word has spread, I believe. Okay. Well, like there's all these like random questions firing off in my (laughs) head and I'm like trying to pick, between a bunch of them and like trying to make sure I'm like, cause I'll traditionally go down a rabbit hole. So, okay. So we talked about how to support our, uh, GCI um, and then kind of like how the network works. How can people support you? Or is that not something that you're wanting? Cause you seem, it seems like this mild version of hesitation toward it. Hmm. I, I remember you asking me this a year ago I, in I Lander. Know. I know. And it 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 took you a moment to answer it last time too. Yeah. The, the reality of being a nonprofit founder and also coming from the privilege of being a white person from the United States um, and growing up like middle income. Like Mm -hmm. I, I struggle to identify myself as being someone who needs any help because I've already, you know, started so ahead of the starting line. Like I, I recognize the privilege with which I am able to run this. I, you know, was able to get scholarships all through um, my time in undergrad and graduate school at Yale to do all these projects abroad. It's, I've just received so much support and privilege through my life. So the challenges of putting in 60 plus hours a week um, in the beginning, completely unpaid to build a climbing organization, like that's real. And that has major mental health and physical health 
impacts, like relationship impacts. It's, it's super challenging, but it's been just the greatest privilege of my life to be able to dive so fully into this. So I don't know in this current moment, like yes, having more donors step in to like sustain this organization and make sure that we can continue our work is mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Um, but personally I have such an incredible network of family and friends and, um, contacts in the industry and people who just really believe in what we're doing that I feel that my cup is very full. One more thing about Climb Malawi. So one thing that's really exciting to us is that the investment that we made in Climbing Life Kenya earlier this year to build the skills of climbing leaders in Kenya um, is bearing fruit in the Malawi project itself. Um, We're having Liz Nadindi, who is the founder of Climbing Life Kenya, join you and Genevieve in Malawi uh, later this year to build up the skills of Malawian climbing leaders. And it's those kinds of collaborations and um, building on skills and countries in close proximity to each other, being able to be each other's teachers and collaborators that is uh, demonstrative of the kind of domino effect of positive impact that we're hoping to have throughout the world. Now, is this the first time or has this happened within the GCI network that a neighboring country or another country has been able to be a part of the growth process of, a, of another project? I believe this is the first time. Um, the Kenya project was really our first deep on the ground community training and event. Like that was our pilot event, which shout out to Sterling and Rab and camp for believing in that project and making it possible. Everything before that we were doing gear distributions and supporting from abroad, um, giving, uh, advising services and consulting to these local climbing organizations and investing in their growth that way. But this trip to Kenya, um, was the result of years of planning, um, to really match the needs of the Kenyan climbing community and what they saw as necessary for their growth. So being able to invest in the Kenyan climbing community and through that invest in Liz, the founder of their local climbing organization, and to recognize her incredible skills as a project manager and builder of organizations and projects. I'm so excited to see what she brings to the team alongside mm -hmm. you and Genevieve in terms of helping climb Malawi reach its full potential. Is this one of like the big future goal too, or like a byproduct that we're that we're hoping to see the GCI be a part of like almost, almost instead of eventually at some point in time, not so much being it, trying to figure out how to word this in the right way. It's like, you're, you're starting the snowball. Yes. Like you're starting the snowball. You want to be a part of the process of starting the snowball. And then other countries, other people are picking up this, this work and you're able to just continue to support it as a whole. Yes. The goal of all nonprofit work is to work yourself out of a job, to have the existing inequities or inefficiencies in the system be solved so that they solve themselves on their own. Um, so if we have incredibly thriving climbing communities all around the world that are then able to help their neighbors, um, then that will break down these systems of hierarchy that currently exist everywhere in the world, every system, but including the climbing industry. Um, so that, that is the long-term goal and that's what we see as success. 
Okay. That's cool because that's actually, it's like, that kind of feeds right into the narrative of what we were talking about with Climb Malawi, wanting it to be completely self-sustained and self-motivated, well, self-run, self-sustained, mm-hmm. where they are able to support and their climbing not only is a part of their economy, but they're also able to use it. They're also able to provide services and things for maybe existing communities and around and other climbing communities growing for. And this is a big thing for me too, because I've mentioned this briefly to you, but like one of the things Ed talked about is like shoes. Mm-hmm. Like there's a surplus of shoes that's like that are damaged, mm-hmm. blown out and things like that. And wanting to teach, you know, see if anybody in the community would be interested in learning how to shoe cobble and re- repair shoes and repair climbing shoes and let that not just end with climbing shoes, but move into other things. And, you know, this, I was having a long conversation with Scarpa and a little bit with Las Vativa about that, like, about like, you know, what is the equipment? What are things needed? What, how can mm-hmm. we do this? How can we do this in an infrastructure? If there is power access to power, not consistent access, like how can we do this in a way where it's like, it's guaranteed that, you know, as long as they're able to continue to get the resource, the raw materials from your companies in some form or way, can the product and can the work still be done? And these are overarching questions and things that I'm really concerned about because I think these are going to really what allow full autonomy. Absolutely. And I think it's like, that's like, that's got to be the primary goal. But this is pretty rad to see that Climb Kenya is now stepping into this role and I'd, I'm very excited to see where this is going to be in the next five or 10 years. Yeah. At the end of the day, GCI's work is not actually about climbing. It's about all of the ripple effects caused by climbing. So, so many aspects of this sport all the way down to shoe resoling. Like that is creation of economy. That is creation of jobs. Mm-hmm. And through the creation of jobs, then you're, you're then changing society. Mm-hmm. And so it's... Um, we believe in a principle called regeneration, meaning we go beyond just sustainability, just how do we fix existing problems or how do we get everything to status quo? We seek to go beyond that into an actual regenerative space where things are better than we found them. New systems have evolved um, and that always has to be customized and, and made to the needs of the exact local community. It'll look different in every single context, um, but that, that's always what we're striving for and what it's amazing to see what's possible when bright minds all over the world um, get a handle on this sport and see what they can do with it, see what positive change they can create. I don't know if this is the right thing to say or not, but I always say whatever I want. Um, I think there's a lot of organizations that do a lot of good, but I don't think they're as strategic. And I think there's a lot of just like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it really just seems like GCI is like, this is what we do. We're going to focus on doing this extremely well, extremely tactically. We're going to focus on empowering people, empowering organizations, empowering communities. And like, this is what we're going to do. And it's not all this other fluff, but there's not all this other stuff. And I think there's a lot to be said about that because, you know, I mean, it's easy to get lost in the flower garden, but you know, bumblebees and they don't go to every single thing in the, th- in the area. Like, and so, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just really impressed and I admire your work and I admire what you do and I admire the team and everything as a whole. And I feel very blessed and privileged and honored to be able to work with you guys and that you are allowing me to work with you because, you know, 
I just feel like a crazy guy who just wants to put bolts in the wall all the time and yell at children and teach them how to rock climb. <laughs> so we have so much to offer the global climbing community, Mario. So we're really grateful and I appreciate the kind words. It's, you don't have the ability to have fluff when you're a four-year-old startup nonprofit. Like there is, yeah, you have to be strategic. And I mean, I forget the last time I did the math, but I believe if you think of the largest climbing nonprofits in the United States, I think we can all think of, uh, we are operating on something like 2% of their budget. And I would argue we're having a bit more than 2% of their impact. And we are so grateful to all of the climbing organizations, brands, all the other entities in the climbing industry that we get to collaborate with. But there is um, this incredible energy behind what we're doing. And what everyone else doesn't see is that we spend hours upon hours debating internally as a team, really questioning everything we do, asking all of the questions, asking how we can do it right. Um, and that's the kind of incredible dedication um, that I'm so proud of in my team and that allows us to build this organization in the way that we think will have the greatest positive impact in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I want to say that once again, I'm super stoked and anyone listening to this, um, please absolutely. I, okay. I don't say this very often. And I think everyone knows who listens to my podcast. I don't really tell you what to do. And this is going to be the first time I'm going to act like your pappy and your grandpappy, but like, if you're going to support anything, you know, support GCI, I'm going to say it in this order, you know, support GCI with your dollars and with your time. If you can support your local LCOs with your time, because they're physically here. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do it this way, you're not only supporting their climbing area locally, that's in your backyard and you can do that with your time and your hands and your dollars. But how often do you get the opportunity to support climbing growth around the world as a whole? And you're going to see it happen and you're going to hear about it happen. So, you know, if you're not already doing that, please go to their website. All of this information will be in the show notes and in the transcript of this episode. And, uh, you know, support Veronica, support everything that she's doing and support GCI. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got guys. Um, would you like to say anything? Shout out to anybody and how, well, first, how can people get in contact with you? How people can get in contact with GCI? And then is there any shout out that you would like to do? I think if anyone follows the global climbing initiative on Instagram, that's where you'll receive the most up-to-date information on all of our projects around the world. You can send us a message there or at info at globalclimbing.org to um, get in contact with any ideas you have opportunities to collaborate opportunities for support um interest in volunteering those are all things that uh you're welcome to reach out about um you will get a response from from our team and uh beyond that i just want to give so much recognition to our global partner organizations climb malawi escalando fronteras um, climbing life kenya climb like a woman Umarumi. These are all incredible organizations doing amazing work around the world. Um, I could not list them all, uh, but we'll put in the show notes um, places in our website where you can discover all of these incredible organizations that at the end of the day, they're the ones creating absolutely incredible impact. We are just catalyzing them to greater growth and success. Well, I want to thank you for your time. This has been beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I look forward to working with you more in the future. 
And I hope if you guys are listening to this, please 100% support GCI, support the organizations that they're working with, their initiatives. And, you know, if there's something that touches your heart, reach out. But your support is needed as much as it is needed in your local LCOs. Take an opportunity to change the world and your backyard at the same time, because technically the whole world is our backyard. We all live on this globe together. Absolutely. Thank you, Mario. And thank you for the long-term vision you have for collaboration with Malawi. Um, five years and your vision of enacting the vision of the local community and the creation of tourism. It's really beautiful and exactly what we stand for. So thank you for your thought leadership there. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If this does not inspire you to honestly join your own local LCOs, get involved with GCI or the Access Fund or any organization that makes climbing accessible and you are a rock climbing, I'm gonna be not gonna lie, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I'm gonna say it like it is, you're a selfish prick. And um, that's what I think. And you know, I get it, not everybody has money, but you, maybe you have time. Maybe you have time and you don't have money. Maybe you don't have either then you should be blasting these things out on your social medias, on your places, on a regular basis, talking about it, finding a way to be involved because there are people in the world who literally have no access to this because the wealth of information is here in America and in Europe. So, you know, we all talk about being climbers, outdoorsy people, and we want people to be in the space and we want people to be here. And, Maybe you're one of those people who don't want people to be here. This is not the podcast for you. But if you're like me and you want to see climbing change other people's lives, help the GCI, help us go to Malawi, and most importantly, just help climbing grow in your community to people who don't have the access to it because it's a beautiful thing. I know you know that every time you clip the chains, hit the mat, or even just walk up to the wall. All right, I'm ranting. I'm out of here. I'll talk to you later. And remember, if you're not suffering, are you even sending at all? It's our job to help the rest of the world send because we know that blessing.